to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Joining me today on location at the NAMM Show in Anaheim, California, my guest has been the lead pianist or musical director with artists including Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, Demi Lovato, and John Mayer. The Yamaha-endorsed musician is known for his explosive and immersive live music performances. By the time he was eight, he was an acclaimed piano prodigy, winning statewide accolades and college-level competitions. You've been hearing a song of his called The Hustle is Real. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Blackbach. Hey, Bruce. Great to be here. Yeah, good to meet you. To meet you as well. Thanks for making time to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Before we dive into all that you're doing, all that you have done, mm-hmm. share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called The Hustle is Real. Uh, it's just a, a tribute to everybody that's out there, you know, waking up every day, doing something, pursuing something, taking your kids to school, hustling every day, you know, just a, um, a bit of a, a way to just say, I acknowledge you, I see you, I see you out there doing your thing. But what happens to inspire you to create the song and then to come up with that title and, and marry everything together that you just described? Well, it started with a program I was involved in called the Creators Workshop, um, where I took a 100-day challenge to write every day. So uh, essentially, I ended up writing 121 consecutive days. Wow. And there were some maybe 300 other students that were on this uh, journey with me. And I actually, I wrote it for them first, mm. for all of us that were, you know, turning in our dailies every day consecutively, you know, consistently. So uh, it just inspired that. And then, you know, me just being from Detroit and also one of my uh, label heads, he says that all the time, the hustle is real. Uh. And I said, that's the perfect title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, on June 17th, your debut album, Black Book, was released. Tell the audience all about that project. Oh, wow. That's uh, the project I wrote, 121 consecutive days. Um, It's very interesting because it's like musical poems. Uh, My mission is always to be able to tell a story without words. Um, Or how do I tell a great story without words? Um, And also, how do I tell a story through my lens? Um, As a black man in 2022, with all the things that are going on in our, our community, um, social things that are going on. How do I be the voice of uh, the happenings? So Black Book is very much um, a selection of music that um, signif- that is very significant of the things that are going on right now. But talk about telling a story without using words because I'm always fascinated when I talk to an instrumentalist yeah. in terms of, I don't want to say just coming up with the title for it, but presenting a message to a listener in a song that has no words and yet you're the creator and you're saying oh well i know completely what this song is about and so there's that challenge of marrying that with the audience yeah well for a while i don't know what the song is about like when i'm creating it's it's kind of a um i always say it's it's me standing in a dark room alone and i'm searching Mm. for light i'm searching for you know just the flicker of light or just a spark somewhere 
And usually when I see that spark, that's when I kind of walk in that direction. Um, so the writing process very much for me is um, play until it feels good. Or if I have something that I want to say, for instance, there's a piece called uh, Forgotten Girls, which is about um, girls of color who have went missing. Um, and it's very much that piece. I had to dig into a place that was very hard for me. I have two sisters. So the first spark in the room, in the dark room, was how would I feel if my sisters were missing? Mm, okay. And that's where the first spark, and I started okay. walking in that direction. And then I start creating from that point. Yeah, I can. you're doing a good job of visualizing that for me because if you're in a dark room and then you think of that, then your fingers hit the keys and you go, what am I feeling? What would that, what sound would go with this picture I have in my head? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. like that. So, you know, it occurred to me though that, and I want you to understand the spirit with which I'm asking this. Mm-hmm. When you're not having to write lyrics, I almost feel like, hey, I'll take it. I only have to do half the work, but I mean that respectfully. Am mm-hmm. I right in the case of somebody who is writing lyrics and melody that they're having to do more work or is it oh Bruce you don't even understand how much there is to creating instrumental music yeah (laughs) it's it's a different I would say they're equal you know the idea for all of us is storytelling Um, when you don't have words you have to deal with emotions more Um, I always say my highs I've been in my life have been high and my lows have been very low but I'm glad I'm happy I had both because now I can understand how to write a poem or a piece about being depressed because I understand it in a way that um, I, I've been there. So uh, tapping into that emotion in that way, like the deeper parts of emotion, sometimes is very taxing, but um, I think that it's equal. If you're writing lyrics, you have to kind of tap into that place. And then if you're not writing lyrics, you still have to kind of well, tap yeah, into Well, yeah, because as you started the answer, I thought, you know what? I think I just figured out the answer myself. I think you have to work harder because you don't have the luxury of lyrics yeah. to translate the yeah. message to the audience. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. If you're like Blackbach in that you are creating, you're recording music, do yourself and your audience a favor and get the Scarlet Audio Interface from Focusrite, who I'm grateful to for, again, sponsoring another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. You have heard me say it before, but it bears repeating. Scarlet is the best-selling range of audio interfaces in the world, with more than 4.5 million sold to date. When I was in Alabama less than two weeks ago at the second Lake Martin Songwriters Festival, I was one of the judges for the 20 and Under Songwriters Competition, and yep, they were using a Scarlet audio interface. I've told you that I've used it myself, and obviously recommend it. This is what you want to be using for crystal clear audio. Go to my show website, nhte.net, and look for the Vocaster ad. That is Focusrite's audio interface designed specifically for podcasters. Click or tap on that ad to go over to the Focusrite website and start yourself on the way to getting a Scarlet for the recording work that you are doing. That Vocaster ad, by the way, is in the right-hand column if you're viewing nhte.net on desktop or scroll way down if you're on mobile to see that ad below the social media icons. The Scarlet audio interface from Focusrite. It's what those recording at home are using all the way up to the pros. So you are here at NAM performing at the Yamaha booth all three days. Yes. How did you connect with them and, and you know kind of tell the audience more about being a Yamaha endorsed artist and your relationship with them? Yeah. Well, from uh, my childhood, I've always had Yamaha pianos. Hmm. Um, so it was my preference. Um, as I started 
uh, with the Black Pop Project, I reached out to um, Yamaha Artist um, Development in New York, and I had a show at Rockwood Music Hall. They came out, and from there, it's just been a great relationship. Mm. I love the representation there. They're so awesome, and they support me 150%. So me being here, playing on the brand new uh, flagship CFX 9-foot grand is more than amazing. I always say... It's cool because I get three days of playing, you know, driving a Rolls Royce. You know, it's uh, like I, I get a three-day <laughs> rental on it, you know. I like that. I like that. So your performer name is Black Bach. Yes. But you were born in Detroit as Charles Wilson III. Yes. So talk about growing up a piano prodigy in the inner city, and then when and how did you adopt the name Black Bach? Yeah, so the, growing up, I can always say there's no better place to grow up than Detroit. I mean, it's j- literally the music community is so rich i mean it's palpable it's in the air um and just being able to be around that growing up was like super cool um being around some of the old motown musicians which were like uncles and and, mm. and other fathers for me and and other aunts and everything so um that was super cool but the name came from um like I, i'm also a hip-hop fan um i grew up in the inner city um so all my friends had like hip-hop names so when we decided to come up with a name, I was like, I want something that's, that's reflective of the culture that I grew up in. Um, and then the second part of my name, Box, spelled B-O-K, mm-hmm. is an acronym for something my father used to tell me all the time, which is everything will be okay, but you got to be okay with everything. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I like that. That's yeah. cool. In the intro, I said that you are known for your explosive and immersive live music performances. And I think if someone hears Piano Prodigy, if someone hears Instrumental, they go, wait, how could you have an explosive and immersive live music performance if you're, quote-unquote, just a pianist, if you're just an instrumentalist? So walk us through all that. Yeah, well, I like to challenge the audience to think more as if I'm not giving you words or lyrics, I'm allowing your imagination to create your own lyrics based on the emotion that you feel. So it's more of an open, uh, open form for feeling in a way that you may not have felt before about something. So it's a kind of, like I said, an opportunity for the listener to have an experience of their own. Um, the thing that's really cool about being immersive is that, you know, there's poems that go with some of the stuff I, um, some of the, um, there's a poems that go with each song for the Black Book album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use those during the show as well. But, you'll feel it like to me it's the connection that you have with an audience that makes a performance important and that's where i focus but the explosive part do you are you sampling are you using any pedals i mean is there like percussion is there more than just the piano some songs have have backing tracks um but when we say explosive it's just like me i'm super animated like i i, okay. I love to play with uh, not just express with my hands or with my fingers. I allow my body to be immersed in what I'm performing at the time. So, you know, my hands kind of go all over the place. My feet kind of go all over the place. I know it always seems weird because you're like, he's a piano player, just sitting down. And it's just like, no, um, there's a bit of uh, movement element that I bring to it. But see, I'm interested in the fact that you just said sitting down because as I'm listening to you describing this, I'm thinking, oh, he's standing up when he's performing and he's... <laughs> Nope, exact opposite. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So do you perform live 100% solo or is it, no, sometimes it's a duo or a trio or? Um, it's 98% solo. Wow. Every once in a while I do have a special guest that I'll have. For instance, uh, 
my good friend Lawrence Brownlee, who's one of the world's leading um, tenor uh, opera vocalist. Um, he sat in with me in New York City. Um, also, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who uh, was in Hamilton. She has. A, we did a song together on my album called My Life. It's really good. Um, so I have special guests every now and again that come in um, and do uh, songs with me. But now that you've just released the Black Book album, is there going to be a heavy emphasis on performing live so much more and doing you know traditional touring, so to speak, to promote the album? Yeah, absolutely. So we've already put a lot of that together. Um, I played a lot on the East Coast. I'm here at NAMM for three days. Uh, I have a performance at MoMA in New York, uh, again in D.C. for the Juneteenth Festival. Um, so... Yeah, Dallas Symphony Orchestra later this year, so a lot of things are coming down the pipeline. And I was going to ask you, you know, is there kind of a target sort of venue or atmosphere that you're trying to perform live in? No. Everything, I will perform in a place with, I will perform in someone's home for their family and friends all the way up into the symphony. Wow. Like everything in between. Wow. As long as I get to connect with people and connect with an audience, that's all that really matters. And I'm just meeting you for the first time, but I get the sense that no matter which of those environments in, everybody's going to get the same show. Yeah. Yeah. Always 110%. I love it. I love it. I said in the introduction that you have been the lead pianist or musical director with Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, Demi Lovato, and John Mayer. Mm -hmm. Tell us, how in the world are you getting these opportunities and and maybe even a highlight or two of working with some of those A-listers? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, Being a classical student, the normal progression is you graduate from high school, you go to music conservatory, and you, you know, pursue a career as being a concert pianist. Now, I didn't necessarily have that opportunity, so I kind of took another route. Um, pop, Pop music called me um the first gig i had was with justin timberlake um don't ask me how i got this gig i have no (laughs) idea um but from that point i I was always a perfectionist i always wanted to push the envelope so um my work ethic allowed me to to move on from you know justin the backstreet boys and rihanna and john mayer and demi lovato and michael jackson immortal and uh, about 13 years of nonstop touring wow Um, but it was just an amazing time, and I kind of learned a little bit more about performance and being an entertainer from being around those folks. Um, so uh, it's been a great uh, progression. Performance and being an entertainer as opposed to? Being more, com- coming more from a concert pianist standpoint, you know, because very much one of the things that you, you'll notice is when you go to the symphony, there's not much talking. There's not much dialogue. The, mm-hmm. You know, the symphony, come, the players come out, they take bows, they play the music, they take bows, they leave. Yeah. For me, it's more of a pop show, but I'm playing classical music. So, and I don't like the rules. I, I'm a rule breaker. <laughs> like, wear whatever you want. You know, clap as loud as you want. Um, I'm going to wear what I want. I'm not going to wear a tux with tails. You know, like, I'm going to change up the rules. Is it possible, can you pick out a highlight or two for us, though, out of all those A-listers that I named of, of something cool, something fun, something that stands out? Oh, wow. Very, um, being very memorable for you? Yeah, some of the stuff I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can remember during the Future Sex Love tour with Justin Timberlake, um, a good friend of mine had a uh, musical director, his name is Kevin Antunes, had one of his kids got sick, so he wasn't able to make a show, and I ended up playing 
both parts. So I'm running from one keyboard rig to the other and throughout the show playing multiple parts. Wow. And I remember after the show, Justin pulled me aside. He said, dude, what in the hell was that? <laughs> he said, dude, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I don't know. He said, I don't know how you did that, but I love you so much for it. Um, he says, dude, and, what in the hell was that? And you're like, let me just be clear. You're, yeah. you're asking this in a good way, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that... Uh, I told him, and he understands about me, is that I'm always going to give you 110% of myself when I go on stage. Whatever artist I'm supporting, it's always about their vision and supporting their vision. So it's cool to be the artist now, and I get to support my own vision. Well, yeah, because I was going to say, you just kind of described three different viewpoints for us. You know, as you said, mm-hmm. the pianist who, he's just part of the orchestra, mm-hmm. and he's not to be seen or heard from, to now it's... Well, I'm supporting a main act. Mm-hmm. I'm part of the band. Right. Two, I am the artist. Right. Yeah. So it's been like, uh, take a little bit of all those three things and put them together, and now you have Black Bach. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like that. There's another really cool highlight of yours that I don't know how many people know about it, mm-hmm. but it has to do with baseball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So a um, few, what was it, last month? Miguel Cabrera from the Detroit Tigers uh, joined the 3000 hit club. Uh, and I was, uh, called on by the Detroit Tigers, which is my hometown to, uh, write a custom song for, um, when he got his 3000th hit and I did it. We filmed it at the Fox theater in Detroit. Um, and when he got it, they played it on the big screen and it's on his YouTube and Tigers YouTube and my YouTube as well. So it was just a really cool moment to collaborate with the Tigers. Yeah. I was going to say, that's got to be a different type of inspiration. It's, we need you to write a song about something that's going to be a sports milestone. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that you had a lot of experience to draw from for writing that type of number. Well, it was pretty cool because, you know, when you watch clips of, uh, Miggy, it's like, he's such an intense player. Like to see him at the, you know, at bat is such an intense moment. Mm. And like he's such, so focused. Even to be able to get to 3,000 and be a part of that club, it takes an intense focus. And as a pianist and a concert pianist and a composer, we have to have that same intensity mm. and that same focus. So it was a lot easier than I thought it was after watching clips. I was like, oh, this, I know exactly where he's wow. coming from. Wow. Yeah. So, um, wasn't as difficult as I thought. It, was, it came together really cool. But you cool. brought in an interesting perspective because I think for some people, as a composer, you'd say, okay, I'm going to write something celebratory. But you took a step back and said, yeah, it's a milestone, but let's also look at what got him there and let's look at the focus that he has every time he goes to the plate. Absolutely. And that all of a sudden makes the composition a lot different than just focusing on he's getting 3,000 hits at some right. point. Right, yeah. Yeah. You know, wow. for me, I always say... Uh, the, the journey is more important than the destination. I heard somebody say a, a week ago or so, says the runner who loves running is better than the runner who loves the destination. Mm. And I'm the runner that loves running. I yeah. like that. I like that. You have a song on Spotify with almost 400,000 streams. It's yeah. called November 7th, 2020. First, what is the story behind that song's name? And, and second, how has that song received so many streams? Yeah, it's a very interesting. You know, when you put out a, a record, you don't know which song is going to raise its hand you know you just it's i consider them like my children and you don't know which child's going to do what you're just like one of these children's gonna you know hopefully do something and uh november 7th 2020 was uh written about just togetherness um on that day i witnessed a lot of people who were celebrating um in the streets 
Um, we had just elected a new president, and a lot of people were just kind of celebrating worldwide. And it wasn't a, that we were electing a new president, but it was just the energy of seeing people of all different races, colors, and creeds outside of their homes on the streets celebrating. And I was like, wow, it was so inspiring. So that piece kind of came around. What was, what's really cool about it is that the piece was already written. And while I was performing it, I was watching CNN with, with the sound off. And it sounded like the soundtrack. Mm. So that's where it got its title. Wow. Yeah. And what do you attribute the success on Spotify to? Uh, it's a good song, <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't okay, Bruce. Little secret: we did a big spend, we did a big marketing push, and we went heavy no, on that song in chose, particular. It it raised its hand. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the new album. Uh, everything that you're doing with Yamaha, and yeah. really appreciate you making time to come by. It was oh, great to talk you. to you. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. My sincere thanks to neoclassical piano renegade Blackbach for joining me today on location at the NAMM show in Anaheim, California. Visit his official website at blackbach.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. At his website, you will see all the ways to connect with him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, icons to click on so you can stream his music on Spotify and watch his music videos on YouTube and even how to book him for a personal house concert, as you heard him mention. Do let him know that you heard him and his music I now hear this entertainment. Keep up with him online for where and when you can go see him perform live. Once again, my sincere thanks to Blackbach and the audience. Stay tuned for part two of this On Location NAM special edition. Are you receiving the weekly e-newsletter? It has information about the latest podcast episode and other notable goings-on. Plus, there are oftentimes exclusives in there that only people who get that are seeing first. Just go to the podcast website, nhte.net, and put in your email address. And yes, you really will only get an email from Bruce each Wednesday. That's it. No spam. Sign up now for free and stay up with everything going on with the show and more. It's fast and easy at nhte.net. Welcome back to the second half of this special episode of Now Hear This Entertainment as I continue talking, as always, with guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Joining me now here on location in Anaheim, California, at this year's edition of the NAM Show, my guest is the sales director for Adam Hall North America, working closely in artist relations. He has played in bands as a guitarist for decades. He has even designed custom guitars for musicians, including Paul McCartney. His background extends to retail, wholesale, marketing, new product development, and more. Since 2012, he has been with the Adam Hall Group, which is a more than 45-year-old leading German manufacturer and distribution company that provides event technology solutions to business customers worldwide, including retailers, dealers, live event and retail companies, broadcast studios, and AV system integrators. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Rob Olson. Hello, nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Thanks for making time to be here today. I'm not even going to build up to it. When I introduce someone as having designed custom guitars for musicians, and one of those folks just happens to be Paul McCartney, I got to have you tell that story right out of the gate. When was this, and how did you get that opportunity? And then also, 
you know, walk us through that process. That's actually a quite funny story. So I've been with Hoffner brand for 25 years. And uh, we started a custom shop probably in 2002. Lenny Kravitz wanted a black club base. And uh, Hoffner Germany couldn't produce a black colored club base at the time. They were only doing Sunburst. So I had somebody working for me in America that uh, could paint instruments. And we, make, we made the first custom shop was a black club base for Lenny Kravitz. Then years later, um, I don't have the exact year, I want to say 2012, Paul McCartney was doing a Jubilee concert for the Queen. And my colleague in Germany suggested we make a Union Jack paint job because we made one for Cheap Trick before as well. Wow. And it was really cool. It was a, you know, red, white, and blue, but the white was actually transparent natural. So every color, you could actually see the wood grain. Wow. And it was really neat. So, uh, so the concert kind of crept up quicker than we thought. And the Union Jack is a very complicated finish because there's three, it's like painting three colors uh, separately. So it's like making three bases. Mm. So we finished the instrument. Um, I shipped the base two weeks before the concert. We weren't sure if Paul was even going to accept the instrument or like it. But we, we didn't really... We knew something. We told him something was coming, but we didn't give him the details, right? So two weeks before the concert, I shipped the instrument from the Kenosha, Wisconsin post office <laughs> to MPO Productions. And then two weeks later, we just turned on the TV, and there he was with the instrument. And it's all over the Internet, front and center, next to Elton John and Annie Lennox and oh the Queen and gosh. Prince Charles. And he played it for the concert, and it kind of became a, a famous bass. But, yeah, it was it was pretty neat with the color scheme and seeing it on TV with so all these cool. celebrities. It was so cool. cool. Yeah. It's funny, though, that you mentioned from the post office because nowadays, <laughs> sorry, post office, but yeah. nowadays you do that and you go, oh, gosh, I don't even know if this thing's going to get well, there. Well, even back then I was not sure. <laughs> and I was sitting in line the whole time with this box just around these people, like shipping socks to their grandson or something, <laughs> and just with, with a base addressed to Paul McCartney. It was, was kind of surreal. <laughs> Well, Paul McCartney aside, when you have designed custom guitars for artists, forgive my ignorance, but was that in conjunction with a guitar maker like Gibson or Martin or Taylor, for example, or is it a boutique guitar maker or what? Who is actually building the guitars that you are designing? Yeah, so it's the Hofner brand, which is Paul McCartney's bass. It looks like a violin. Um, a lot of other artists play them. We have a ton of, ton of artists, but Paul makes it famous. In fact, when he opens his concert now, uh, a big screen comes on with a silhouette of the violin bass, mm. and everybody knows Paul with this bass, so they just cheer when they see the lighted sign of the shape. He's so he's been using it since the Ed Sullivan show, wow. uh, and he still plays it. For a little while, he put it down when, during Wings, and he came back again with it. Elvis Costello actually t told him to play it again years ago, so he's been playing our bass pretty much his whole career, and he's so known for that bass. It's like Jimi Hendrix with the Flying V or... Um, you know, BB King with a 335. But um, so luckily, our bass is sort of legendary, known and associated with Paul. Um, so yeah, we we run. I run the custom shop, and we paint and design custom instruments for everybody from the Wallflowers to Tom Petty before he passed, and um, Cheryl Crow. I think had four of them. Mm. Um, tons of artists, but the Union Jack was really fun. But you're talking in the present tense, so is this something that you're still a part of? Correct, yep. Okay, and, and maybe that'll come to, to what we're going to talk about, but I, I want to tell the audience, folks, go back and listen to the interview I did last year at Summer NAM in Nashville with Jamie Gale, who curates the Boutique Guitar Showcase for NAM. That was episode 391. I'll put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Very fascinating to listen to what Jamie does in his world and what I got to see 
And actually, he has one here at this NAMM show as well. Rob, let's hear about your performance background. I said in the intro that you played in bands as a guitarist for decades. When did you start? Where were these bands based? And were any of them bands that the audience might have heard of, like bands that have achieved some level of success? Paint that picture for us. Sure. So I started playing at 13, and I was in a band (laughs) at 13 in one month, probably. (laughs) And um, I uh, currently play, I live in Dayton, Ohio, which is great because it's 45 minutes from Cincinnati, 45 minutes from Columbus, Ohio, and then Dayton's in my yard. So it's three different music scenes, like driving across town. So... It's in my soul, I guess, to play to play music, even though I have seven brands that I'm responsible for from a business day job. I, I still have to perform. So I perform anywhere from six to 20 shows a month. <laughs> and with 10 different groups, I would say right now, I have wow. uh, I write original music with the drummer from this band called Afghan Wigs, who is a famous 90s band. Um, and I have uh, a lot of acoustic shows I do with various singers where I'm the band, and I try to sound full uh like a like a band if possible then i have some cover rock bands and i have uh, a fleetwood mac tribute band i just Mm. joined recently that i'm playing as soon as i land from the show (laughs) (laughs) so it is a challenge to be honest with you to juggle the performing career and the business career but it i have to have both in my life to be part of music and it, it helps i think with my business skills to be still actively playing yeah i'm sure yeah not unlike on episode 425 of the show when i talked to joe lamond president and ceo of nam and he talked about how helpful it is for him to have a background as a musician for the various business dealings that he has with nam absolutely i'm sensing that you're probably playing acoustic and electric guitar do you play bass also what are you doing with all these bands do you sing yeah i'm not a great singer but i do sing harmony uh it's mostly electric guitar acoustic guitar i used to do bass gigs but uh, i'm too busy for for that so i'm just doing electric and acoustic shows i would say 60 percent acoustic shows with 10 different singers and then uh the other 40 percent is maybe four bands something like this mm. so <laughs> wow wow amazing amazing well, you're here at the NAMM show with the Adam Hall Group, which is said to be home to user-centric brands that offer gear for the home studio and for live performances. Talk about that in terms of what some of those products might be. Yeah, so Adam Hall is one of the larger event companies in Europe. Um, we have everything from PA speakers to stands that musicians use to guitars like Hofner, as we mentioned. We also have Maton acoustic guitars from Australia, which is famous with other players, which we might touch on. And then we have some pedal brands. So it's basically almost everything you would see on a stage. We do not manufacture or distribute drums, keyboards, or accessories like picks or cables. But it's you know stands, speakers, uh, guitars, amplifiers, everything pretty much a musician would use. A lot of different tools, even like podcast stands and wow. headphones and recording items wow. as well. But when you keep mentioning Hofner, so is that under Adam Hall also? Yeah, Hofner is a distributed brand from Adam Hall. So Adam Hall has their own brands that they own, which would be Gravity Stands, LD Systems, Palmer, and Defender. And then Adam Hall distributes brands that are owned in other countries, and but we exclusively distribute them for North America. Okay, okay. Can you explain the difference between some of these that you're talking about? I'm, I'm thinking like LD Systems, Palmer, Gravity, and, and you know what that also is in the context of the Adam Hall group. But just sure. the differences between some of those. Sure. LD Systems is PA speakers primarily and wireless. So like inner monitoring, wireless microphones, wireless guitar systems, and then PA systems that you would 
use anywhere from like a small wedding, like a DJ or a small band, uh, like my little acoustic things. You know, we make little small PA's, but we also produce larger PA systems too that could be 2,000-ish people like you would see at NAM outside um, and everywhere in between. Gravity is stands, the brand, which again is everything from keyboard stands, guitar stands, microphone stands, lighting stands, anything stand related and very innovative a lot of innovative products that nobody else makes. Uh, Defender is the cable ramps that you drive over at a concert mm-hmm. or you walk over the kind of the bright colored uh, p- cable protectors. And um, uh, Palmer is tools for uh, musicians like they have direct boxes where you know you need to go from a quarter inch uh, to a mic level or um, for example they, they're famous for a speaker simulator which you could have like a Marshall amplifier not have a cabinet normally you need a cabinet to hear it um, and but you can go into this Palmer piece and come out and go right into your church or into your live sound and turn up your amp all the way but it's dead quiet you don't hear anything and then the Palmer produces the signal which emulates a microphone that goes right into your church console or live console and comes out sounding like a cabinet with a microphone on it wow so it's wow. it's very convenient tool so in the context of being here at the NAM show is it we are the Adam Hall Group, and you can come and see us, and you're going to see all these different brands represented, and whatever they want to push is what they're pushing, or, or what does what does the, the NAM booth look like for the Adam Hall Group? Well, well this year's a little different with COVID, um, but typically we, we have several different booths for each brand, uh, or, or a booth for each brand. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, And that part of that is the NAM show is segregated a bit with drums in one area and keyboards in an area, and so... Uh, Hoffner and Mayton are in the guitar area typically, and then Adam Hall is okay. more in the PA yeah, that makes area. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You talked about the bands that you were in and are still in, and, and the guitars that you've designed. I want the audience to understand that, with regards to the various offerings under the Adam Hall Group that you're talking about, you have deep expertise around gear that touring and recording musicians use, including loudspeakers and PA's for concerts, monitors and mixers for the studio, and even stands for microphones and gear. So this is your job, but it's also when you're talking to someone, you're talking to it as a user. Correct. And that, that definitely helps. And um, I, I think people trust a musician that's using the gear, and they can tell you the ins and outs and pros and cons of why they should have a certain model or a certain thing or oftentimes musicians aren't aware of some of these products that are out there so as a musician that uses them myself I can say hey did you ever try this and they say no I didn't I didn't know that existed and then so it's and that's what kind of makes me tick is making other people happy showing them things that can make their life easier and better yeah and for you to be able to stand with a musician and say I'm in several bands myself. I just used this over here last week in Insert yeah. City here for such and such a show or such and such a venue. And now you can kind of start to figure out where are they playing, what are their needs, and like you said, what works and what doesn't work as well as I like that you said something that they might not know about. Yeah, exactly. T- typically, a lot of the, I don't really tell people I perform or play <laughs> unless they ask. Um, because in a, on a sales side of the other hat I wear in life, on the sales side, you typically don't want to promote yourself um Uh, but but i think people figure it out when they start speaking with me that he must play (laughs) and he must know what he's talking about and there's some maybe authority in the voice or some experience in the in the in the wording but yeah typically i don't tell anybody i 
perform yeah, and talk I think, about things. I think when an artist starts a conversation with you and they hear certain buzzwords, they yeah. think to themselves, he wouldn't know to say that unless he's a musician himself. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. And some of them became friends and follow me on social media. And I don't really post a lot of band stuff, but they see my guitar collection mostly in my pictures and say, okay, he knows what he's done. <laughs> so as an artist relations specialist and a musician yourself, share some insights as to how musicians should think about their gear setups and then how they can approach partnerships with brands. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, gear setup, um, that, that's a little bit tough. I mean, obviously, to keep exploring, uh, kind of back to our last uh, conversation here about there's a lot of things that people don't know exist. So, I mean... My philosophy is keep it simple, um, but if you are struggling in an area, just keep researching because there's a lot of product at the show. There's, I don't know how many products, but thousands and thousands of products. So it's, it's good to be aware, but it's also good to keep it simple. So the, the more you have, sometimes the more that can troubleshoot and have problems. As far as approaching a, another manufacturer for a relationship with artists, we get this all the time. And it's, it's very tough, to, so just putting yourself in my chair you usually have a small budget <laughs> or sometimes no budget <laughs> and you get a thousand calls a day for example and you find yourself uh, feeling a little awkward because you're telling judging a fellow musician are you worthy or not of an mm. artist so w typically what we look for is a for what I look for is somebody that's a great performer player with you know good tone taste and time and wow. feel um, that usually wins in the end over status um, because if you have good tone, taste, and time and a good good, real player, it's going to win in the end, kind of like nice guy finishes last. Um, but typically what we do look for is, since we have so many calls for artists, somebody that has a, a large social media following as well definitely helps. Somebody that's good at video content definitely helps. We often struggle with these products that nobody knows about, and the reason people don't know about them is maybe there's not enough videos or not, not enough marketing mm. to, to, to make people aware of these products existing. So if you can assist with a big following to help make awareness of these products, that's definitely something manufacturers look for. But getting back to the first part about gear setup, what advice would you give to an indie musician as far as walking that line between... They're real stubborn, and they say, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, I don't need anything new. Everything I have is great. Versus the person who just buys anything and everything because they just love gear, and it's the latest, and it's the greatest, and they have to have it. And now all of a sudden, it's like, well, you're not keeping it simple. You're buying way too much stuff. So how do you, how do you find that, that fine line so that you're not being stubborn and missing out on something, but you're also not buying all the stuff that you never even take it out of the box? I'm probably the wrong person for that advice because <laughs> I, fall, I fall into both categories sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I would say there's room for both of those people in the world. And, um, but just don't get, if you get frustrated, this would be my advice. If, you get, if you're frustrated either way, you're frustrated because you have old gear and it's not working or doing the things you want it to do, then maybe uh, the advice would be be a little more open-minded, look around, see what else is out there, and try some new things. If, On the other side, if you're having a ton of gear and you're frustrated because things are breaking or confusing or you're spending too much time tweaking instead of practicing, mm -hmm. then maybe you should stop tweaking and play a little bit more. So that would be my advice if you're frustrated either way, change. 
you know, and try to try something different. Yeah, because for some reason, one picture that's coming to my head is the person who thinks, I don't need new speakers because I've got these, I've had these for years. And in the meantime, they don't realize that they're breaking their back, lifting them in and out of their vehicle, and yet they could get a Bose stick that is so much more compact and has great sound that they're missing out on the fact that you're still going to get great sound, but you're also going to have less wear and tear in your body because you insist on continuing to use these things that you've had for nine years now. Well, that actually happened to me. So I used to bring two speakers on st- and I had to put them on stands. They were big and heavy. Had to Usually I set up myself, so I would put them on a stand and struggle getting them up to the right height, then had to plug in the cables, then plug into the mixer, then I had to have a monitor uh, or two for the singer and myself. And then always struggled with listening to the monitor to make sure it matched the same sound as the mains. And then the main speakers would be pointing at maybe the wait staff or the management. And then the audience would be in another area. So when I bought my first LD Systems PA on a stick, similar to a Bose appearance, it's, a, it's an array on a stick. So it has a subwoofer with some mid-range and some high-end speakers, but it basically snaps together. So you just pop the speakers into the subwoofer, no cables needed, and you can put the PA either behind you, so you don't need the monitor, or you can put it on the side of you or in front of you. But either way, a light went on for me because I was definitely struggling. I didn't realize I was struggling, but I was stressing out about volume mostly and feedback and being too loud and then the monitor sound. And then the first LD system I had literally changed my life Mm -hmm. because... I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about feedback. I don't have to worry about being too loud because the way the sound disperses from the speakers on these portable uh, PAs is it shoots out at 120 degrees typically. And all these little speakers aim in different spots of the room. So I've never, ever had anybody since then tell me to turn down. But prior to this, constantly I would be so worried about, like, the bartender might not be able to hear or this other person can't hear. So literally that was a situation where I didn't know I was struggling. But once, once I purchased some new gear, it... A light came on and said, this changed my life. Is that LD system that you're referring to called something specific? So if anyone's listening, wants to check it out. Yeah, LD systems Maui. So there's a Maui 5, a Maui 5 Go, which is a battery version, which you can play outside for several hours without having any power, which is Mm. great. We're one of the few that mix battery-powered portable arrays. And then there's a Maui 28, which is maybe for a small band or a bigger event. Then there's a Maui 44, which when I get home, I'm performing with a, that Fleetwood Mac tribute band, uh, probably 2,000 people, and that will cover that situation as well. So the Maui's mm. kind of cover anywhere from 50 people to, say, wow. a couple of thousand, wow. and without having the headaches that I mentioned that I realized I was struggling yeah. with. Yeah. Let's put LD Systems aside for a minute. I do want to give you a chance. Is there anything from maybe from Palmer or from Gravity for someone that you want to highlight? You know, and, it may, and maybe it's one of those examples of, like you said, things that are out there that musicians aren't aware of. Yeah, I, um, I would say there's actually lots of products. So um, if you're one of those that's struggling and you want to have an open mind, take a look at adamhall.com and just look at all the different brands and see there's a lot of Gravity tools that people didn't think they need. And uh, but they're so creative that they came up with some tools that will make your life a little easier. You so, give me one example. Well, there's a 3D arm, for example. So, like for your uh, business with podcasting, it's a, a 3D arm that has three different ball joints that spin freely in every direction. So, for example, like if you have a microphone or a pop filter for a microphone, you can clamp it to a table. You can clamp it to a, any, basically anything, and then you have three separate like they're roughly five or six inch stems that all have a complete circular ball Mm. joint so you can 
basically you can angle your mic or your pop filter, or if you're micing a drum, for example, you can dial it in exactly where you want to, where normally you have a gooseneck that just bends. But this mm -hmm. way, with the 3D arm, you can get in places that you didn't think and you could get in. probably a tablet or a smartphone. Exactly. Yep. Wow. Yep. Anything, wow. basically, you can get in areas where you might not have thought possible before. Rest assured, audience, I will be going to see Rob at his booth after this because I need to see that <laughs> for, for my podcast setup. Um, before we wrap up, just talk about your time here at the NAMM show yourself. Since you are a musician, do you try to carve out time to walk around with that hat on and you know, just kind of kid in a candy store, look around at different booths, see some of the new products that are out there that might appeal to you as a guitar player. And, and for that matter, have you seen anything really cool so far? I wish I had more time to do that. Um, <laughs> typically, we again have a lot of booths here, but I will say that, you know, since COVID, this is the first NAMM show. I've been coming here on and off, mostly on since 1987, I think. Wow. And um, I, uh, you know, sometimes you take things for granted. You come to the show every year and then you can complain about little things. But this year, uh, when I got here, after not having it for a couple of years, a light went on and a smile went on my face and say, I'm glad it's here again. And it's, uh, it's refreshing, so I'm not going to take it for granted anymore. And hopefully next year I can carve up more time to have some personal time to look at some gear awesome. and see awesome. some other booths. So. Great to have you on the show. Nice to meet you. Thank you for making time to be on Now Here This Entertainment. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you, you bet. You bet. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Here This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to Rob Olson, Sales Director for Adam Hall North America. Connect with Rob on LinkedIn and find out more information about his company at adamhall.com. I will put a link to their website on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. All the way down at the bottom of adamhall.com you will see links for the company's social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and even a corporate LinkedIn page. That's going to do it for episode 443. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. <laughs>